Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. Hey everyone, before we dive into this week's episode, we have a resource that we wanted to tell you about. Transform every week of yours with our brilliance bit that will deliver right to your email inbox. Sign up for it at brilliantlyresilient.net and keep living brilliantly resilient. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient. I'm Kristen Smedley here with my buddy Mary Fran Von Tempo, and we are playing Philadelphia, New Jersey geography with our guest today, Lynn Cummings. She's from just across the river over in New Jersey. We have uh, mutual friends, and and what I'm what I'm learning is some mutual uh, values and mindsets that have guided our lives, which I know is is why we're going to have such a a great conversation today. To um, if I was to intro everything that Lynn has done in her years here on this planet, we would be here for three hours for the episode because it is so much. But some of the things that are the incredible highlights are working on an accessible playground. That is is something that I absolutely love. And, and we finally have one um, the way it should be over here in Bucks County and and a slew of other, I mean, nonprofits, uh, a documentary made about your missions, like so many good things. I cannot wait to dive into all of this today. So Lynn, thanks so much for being here with us. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm honored and humbled. So, so here's my big question for you. I'm looking at your bio and as we're all, you know, chit-chatting about the different things that you've done where does all of this like i mean you are just like servant leader you look up in in the dictionary servant leader and there's your picture lynn how where does all this come from were you always always like this did, did something happen where where there was a tipping point and you decided that you were just going to serve 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 the world where did all of it start well i wasn't expecting that question um <laughs> i <laughs> um i had I really had wonderful parents and my father was a labor union president and my father was raised in an orphanage and my mother was one of 11 and my father was the go-getter. My mother was the person who, um, she was the one who always said, well, did you do your best? Well, if you did your best, then that's all you can do. My father was the person who said, if you got a 95, you could definitely get a hundred. So <laughs> I, I had a good, I had a good balance um, in that regard in my family. And I was one of only two and my brother was 11 years older. So I was raised like an only child and um, was with adults a lot. And I had a lot of, inf- a lot of good influences because of, I believe, those early years with my family. My father was not Catholic, my mother was. Um, So I was raised Catholic and I believe that that sense of of giving back was always a part of my education, but never as much as when I got to high school. And um, even the alma mater we sang was to always make things better than you found them. So I feel like I have been guided and mentored by others that just believe that way and so therefore you did it but 
I used to push my mother over the edge because there was something innate within me that, I, you know, if I saw somebody walking and carrying bags, I wanted to stop and pick them up. And I traveled with my mother a lot because my mother was 41 years older than I. So she was much older than I through, you know, through the years then when I was working the most. So I brought her with me and um, I would make her a nervous wreck. And she <laughs> begged me not to pick this person up. So it was really a, a pull and a tug of what I felt like I should do and what I would wind up then acquiescing to her. And and that was that that piece is true even with all the adoptions, you know? So thanks for the question. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. So let's talk about that. Um, you had you have three adopted kids. Or do you have just the three kids? Yes. Okay, so three adopted kids and all three of them had very challenging pasts before you came into the picture. So- well, no, only one, only no, one had, yeah, only one had a challenging past before we adopted him, but okay. the, but not so much the, the daughters. Okay, so you adopted three kids, and, you know, raising kids under the best of circumstances is, is not easy, but one of your kids, I know, had some particular challenges that, that I can relate to, and there was substance abuse there, and... Did you find during that, did that, because I know it did with me, did that kind of influence you to also serve in that community? I mean, I feel like when we have really tough things happen, and I think Kristen agrees with this philosophy, one of the ways to make it mean something beyond your own pain and challenges is to go out and share information and to help other people. Was that one of the areas that you ventured into in terms of your service? I, I We actually... We actually, and I say we because I can't say that I did any of this alone. You know, um, I'm married 55 years this this year in March. Um, so my husband and I are a partner in, in everything that I've done, everything. And I would say that um, it was really our first child that that brought us to one of the first things we did, we were only six years married and, and I was, so I was 26 and I had already two adopted children and we made this thing called marriage encounter and it was to change the world, you know, that, that we together with other married couples could bring marriage, family and faith to the world and love at the basis of that. And that in doing that, it would make a better place for when our children were adults themselves. Um, so that was really, I think, the, the motivating force. And because of that, and we met so many wonderful couples, all of which were people that were movers and shakers, and they were about changing the world. I mean, nobody told us you couldn't, so we believed we could. And um, and so that's that's how it started. And that network of people were amazing for us in, in dealing with the challenges that we had because Keith Keith's challenge as far as as had being born a heroin addict um and being so battered and abused was not as difficult for my family to accept as adopting Kristen who was multiracial well she's not multiracial she's biracial she's half white half black that was really a challenge mm -hmm. so yes to answer your question specifically 
I've had some some movement in the world, but I haven't really done that well yet. I feel like I've done better in the world um, for our white daughter and for our black daughter. And I don't think I've yet really tackled what has to be done in the world of addiction. Well, that is a world that is full of challenges. And I think in terms of everything you've done, I don't think you should beat yourself up too much because you've got a lot of <laughs> Yeah, a lot of the good stuff that you did. You were talking about two nonprofits, three businesses, something called Neighbors Empowering People. I really want to get a little bit of a sense of the overall scope of your 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 ventures into service and what prompted them and and what developed from that. So the first, of course, being that we were involved in marriage encounter, changing the world, um, led us to to see how we were making a difference um and so there's nothing like success that breeds more success mm-hmm. um and and by success i mean that people were loving and kind and talking and communicating and helping each other with their families and and I'm, and sincerely helping each other you know i remember a time when uh, my husband was out of work and i have no idea who came into our home, but our home was um, from the front door to the kitchen had bags lined up of food. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd like to say that that we were also a part of doing that for other people many, many times. Um, so I, I think that the first the first uh, 10 or 15 years of our life were really in that development um, of trying to bring love and the sense of, of faithfulness to your family, to the world. We even did uh, love spots. Um, you know, they weren't necessarily commercials because they were they were um, they were uh, public service announcements, and they were so much fun. And we were traveling out to California as volunteers. We were traveling out to California to make these love spots. So, so that was that was the basis that started. Um, where we then were open and able against family members trying to talk us out of it to adopt um, Kristen. And when we adopted Kristen, she was the only black child in our neighborhood. And in the early 90s, that changed drastically. And I can remember walking out to get the paper, which I did almost every morning. And I looked down the street and our new African-American neighbors that had just moved in had a ring of sale signs around them. Oh. And it was, it was such a moment of both exhilaration for me to think that the town I really wanted to live in had finally come to me. And then to see that the town people wanted to leave for that very reason. Mm. And so that was really the motivation for gathering people in our neighborhood uh, there was only seven that came to my dining room table when I said, you know, we want to live here. We want to stay here and we want to make this work. Um, how do you feel about this? And so seven people came to my dining room table to say, yes, how can how can we do this? And that started what I, I call our kumbaya years, like, let's just all <laughs> get along together. Right. <laughs> um and we did good we did good things but it wasn't making change and 
in order to really make change, you really have to go to the power structures. And after three, four years of our Kumbaya years, we really got serious with our town and with our churches and with our government and with um, our service communities. And we, we brought that table to a huge conference room where we began to work on this thing called what no one really knew what it meant, but stable integration. And, and that was, those were powerful years that made big change. I mean, if you could see my neighborhood, it's so beautiful. It's just unbelievable. Uh, we're a white family across the street from a white family. To our left is an African-American. To our right is uh, Vietnamese. Across the street are Mexican. Caddy Corner over here are Puerto Rican. Next to them are um, another family that are Vietnamese. And across from them are white. So it, it, used, to be a, it used to be a town that there were neighborhoods but it was never a town that on one street you had all of that. And so the reason I say that I've, I've had these opportunities and, and have, I think, put them into the priority of what my kids needed to have in this world. I have to always say that that was always a part of it. So that our son, Keith, he was always in special schools. There were other things that we were always working on trying to get through the other problems of this addiction, of course, prison system being one of them. And my son has written a book. Um, it's It hasn't been published or even self-published yet. And it really deals with and talks about what it was like for him as a child, having come from such an abusive situation and, um, and then having to go to a special school away from our family and and what his journey is and so that's why i say i haven't i haven't yet really done the work because he's after 15 years he's coming out of prison this may wow so i'm really hoping that we together our whole family to, together can work on um getting this book published because it's it's an important message and it's his story it's not my story it's really his story and it needs it needs to be heard it needs for people to understand and and the whole thing about adoption you know there's this this idea that people think that you know you do a good thing by adopting kids well if you don't adopt kids because you're really selfish you're going to be very disappointed the whole point of, of, of adopting children is that you want kids so bad, you're mm -hmm. fulfilling your need, your destiny, right? Mm -hmm. If you if you think you're doing it for them, you are going to fall so short. So with that sense, there's always, we haven't done enough, right? It's always, there's more to be done. There's There's never enough time, but you only have the time you have. So you do the best you can. And that's always been, you know, we had a wonderful pastor who just passed away. And he just always said, just do your bit. Doesn't have to be a big thing. Doesn't have to be a small thing. And I keep in front of me, or taped on here, the words of Mother Teresa, which, which says, 
to show great love for God and our neighbor, we need only we need not do great things. It is how much we put in the doing that makes our offering something beautiful for God. So we wow. don't have, we don't have to do big things. We just have to keep doing. We just have to keep trying. You said a word in there, Lynn. Well, you said so many things that I would I want to be able to land on. But the word bit, and we actually have a brilliance bit that we send out every week. That's a less than one minute just to reframe your mindset, right? But what I'm hearing is you did your bit by bit by bit, one step at a time. What is right. the next right step? that you needed to take. And from all the way back, I mean, I'm in, the way that you described the neighborhood coming to your seven families, coming to your kitchen table. What I love in there is that you, you aligned yourself with people with similar values. And instead of picking up and having to go someplace else, you made it work where you were. And there's so many things that align with, with my family having two kids with special needs. And I was going to have to pick up and go somewhere else. I'm like, no, we need this community can make this work. And I can imagine the blood, sweat, and tears that went on. But then you did bit by bit and then realized to make the systemic change. Then you had to take a step in faith and fear yeah. with some serious courage to go to the powers to make it a big thing. But I think that's one of the most important things that we haven't really haven't really highlighted in our episodes here at Brilliant and Resilient is that you take it bit by bit. And when you look back and see the progress, that's phenomenal. Yeah, that's why I said, you know, if, if you tried to do it all in 20 years, you couldn't do it. But I've been doing it for a long, long, long time. I, I, I even feel like, you know, as a kid, Gosh, I can remember I can remember I was a kid going to uh, conventions with my parents. But instead of going on the women's trip with my mom, I went to the I went to the conference with my dad. So I, I learned then um, the plight of the worker and and what unions could do for workers. And I was just 11 and 12 years old. So, oh. you know, so the formation came at a really very early age for me. And you know what I'm hearing from all of this, and this is so important um, to, to, to piggyback on what you just said about it doesn't have to be a great thing. It also doesn't have to be a, a, a big cause necessarily. You just have to look at your life. What is going on in your life and in your world that your feeling is just not, is not the way it should be? Or that well, you, you know, that's there's a perfect example of that. Our our middle daughter, Kristen, who, by the way, actually is an actress and has done Broadway. So we've got all kinds of stories oh. that, that come in and out of our family. It, it, you know, they're all they're all part of the fabric. Right. But when she was just six years old, probably not even six, she was probably still five. Our grammar school was very close to our home. And so she was able to walk to school. And um, I was close behind, but I always let her walk by herself. <laughs> and there was a little boy who threw rocks at her and called her names because she was black. And in those days, she was really black because she we had a pool and um, the kids were in the pool all the time. So she got very dark. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so 
the next day I went and knocked on the door of that family. And I got to tell you, my heart was pounding out of my oh. body because I didn't know what to, I didn't know what I was going to say. I had no idea where this was going to lead. And they opened the door and I said, hi, I'm one of your neighbors. And, and with that, I was welcomed in. I was welcomed in and I was asked to sit down and I did. And I said, I don't know how to start this other than to just tell you that your son threw rocks at my daughter yesterday. And I, I can't have that. It was a very difficult thing to knock on that door. But when I left, we had, I think, such a great exchange. I didn't change them. They didn't change me. All we did was say, this, 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 is, this hurt this child. Can we just try and talk about this so it doesn't happen again? Mm. So it was not it wasn't anything earth shattering, but it was a it was a way to start communication to allow each other to be in each other's shoes for a few minutes. Can you imagine if if people in this in this country alone right now would just say that no blame? No shame, no, no, nothing there other than this person is hurt. And how can we make sure this doesn't happen again? Right. That's right. It's that. And I hate to make it sound simple, but it is that simple. It is that simple. I think that's exactly the point. I think we complicate things and we put all the, the, the supposed logic and the reasons we think a certain way. And will this happen to me? And that's why. And, and at its most basic, we're all just humans, hopefully trying to do the best that we can. And if we recognize that in each other, that's the basis for any starting point of a conversation. It is. It is. The simplicity it is. is what makes it so beautiful because anybody can do it at any time. And that's where we should all be starting. So, you know, it's funny that you talked about the the doing your bit because that's exactly what I pulled out of your of your uh, bio when I was when I was reading it. And it's it's also, again, to reiterate what we were just saying, that idea of it's it's a bit it's it's a little thing, but that's where all great things start. And it's a building process. And I think that you've you've done that over the years. You've built and, and continued with with a process. Can you see it? I can't. What does it say? Do your bit. <laughs> Is that a bracelet? <laughs> it is it's a bracelet because oh, our right. pastor was so well known for, for saying it. Um, when he passed away this past November, um, one of our parishioners had these made for all of us. Oh, it's, it's perfect. I mean, it just, if everybody would just do their bit to make the world a kinder place and to take care of other humans... What and it's so interesting, isn't it? Your bit can simply be just a smile. If you, if years and years ago, in fact, I think that's why our, our knees got bad. My husband and I used to walk in the mall. <laughs> you know, he's asthmatic. So it was always a good place. It was, it was the right temperature. And then there was no pollen. So we used to be, we were the mall walkers and, and you could get in real early in the morning. And um, he would say to me, do you, how do you know these people? And I say, I don't know them. He said, well, how come they're all smiling and, and saying hello to you? I said, because I'm smiling at them. It's, it's, not, it's such 
a natural thing that people do, right? If you smile, people smile back. That's and it's such an immediate, like natural human connection. It is. It is. It you is. know what's funny? I was telling uh, one of our good friends, Bob Berg, who is the go-giver guy, right, that wrote the go-giver. I was talking to him one time and I said, Bob, I don't know how we got onto the smiling thing. And he's like, oh, Kristen, you're always smiling. I said, I'm not always smiling. Some days I just have a rotten day. But the one day I was having just, I couldn't snap out of it this one morning. So I went to the Acme, the food store, and I had to pick up a few things. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to smile at everybody. And I did. And I was, and people were like, what? And then people were, so, by the time I left, I had met people. I was right. laughing like this goofy thing that I did right. just to snap out of it. It was phenomenal. I know it. I know it. One time I went out, believe this or not, this is, this is, I'm not proud of this story. I came outside and here I am looking at a pile of mulch that's been delivered, right? So how lucky am I? I have a, a home and I have a yard and I actually had mulch delivered it actually was the first time in my life I had mulch delivered but there I am right and I'm thinking to myself huh I gotta move all this mulch myself darn it how come I always have to do all this stuff by myself and I got into this I don't know pity party or something it was so ridiculous and I took the shovel and I decided wait a minute I live in a house I have a yard and I have a pile of mulch and I took the shovel and I thought of somebody and who that somebody might be in my life and what that somebody meant to me. And with that, I took the shovel and 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 moved the mulch. And then thinking about that person made me think about this person, made me think about this person and this person and this person and this person and this person. And, this person. and my life was so full with gratitude of all these incredible people in my life. I moved that mulch in record time. <laughs> <laughs> I like that story. <laughs> That's a great story. And it just goes to show you that, that that little adjustment in a mindset, you know, people are always saying, and Kristen and I talk about this all the time, people are always telling you, change your mindset, change your mindset, but nobody tells you how to do that. That's right. That's, but it, that's that, true. It is that simple little, it's a simple thing to switch it. It's just the simplest thing to shift from feeling, you know, put upon and beleaguered to again, like you said, okay, why do I have this pile of mulch? Well, I have it because I could afford to live in this house and make my garden look nice. You right. know, and that simple shift gets you out of that pity party. And that's what people have to recognize. It's it's really about our perceptions and what we allow ourselves to think. And and you know, Kristen, I want to say specifically to you that nothing has given us more joy when our grandson died. And he had, he was born with half a heart mm. and um, he was only two and a half when he died. And when we said to our grand, our daughter, um, a family had given us $6,000. And that's another whole story, how they got that $6,000 because um, they always gave money at the holiday time Um because they were Christian and Jewish, they gave to don they made donations in people's names um, as gifts to people. Okay. And so they gave us six thousand dollars and said, please do something in honor of of Jake, our grandson's name. And I went to our daughter and I said, honey, the Tillies have given us six thousand dollars to do something in Jake's name. And 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 she was so depressed. Her eyes were closed. 
all the time. And she was across from me and, and she said to me, mom, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, oh, I don't know either. It could, I don't know. It could be a park bench. It could be a gymnasium. It could be a playground. She stood up and she looked at me and she said, could it be a boundless playground? I had not a clue what a boundless playground was, but there was nothing I would ever have said no to. If, if that's what she wanted, that's okay. what we're going to do. I said, sure, let's do a boundless playground. I had no idea because until you have a child with disabilities, you until you have anything you didn't have before, you don't know what that world is like. You don't okay. know what it's like for a family. My daughter, she would bring Jake to the playground that had nothing on it that he could do because he was so tiny because of the heart disease. And he took 13 medicines so he couldn't be in the sun and he had oxygen. And so she wanted she wanted something that would be better for other families. And those families are so 24-7 taking care of their kids. There's no way they could do this. That's $6,000. It cost us over $700,000. That's what we raised to build the first playground. But it came from $20 bills. It didn't come from big, large amounts of money. It came from thousands of people giving little bits of money to make an extraordinary place for children and families that all they need a little bit in life is some joy. And, and when you, there's nothing like the smile you could see when you see a, a child. We had a, a, a my, my husband goes to the playground all the time, just, just to fill his heart with these kind of, of, um, meaningful stories, but he saw a young boy with his aid, and we have musical um, pieces on our equipment. And the aid started crying, and my husband went over to her and said, "Is everything okay?" And she said, "Oh yes, yes." She said, "I have been the aid of Johnny for twelve years, and this is the first time I've ever seen him smile." Mm. That's a long story to get back to your smile. But it, yeah. it, it's it's a human condition that some people don't have easily. And if, yeah. we can, if we can have it and we can give it, we might be able to help them to have it too. You know, I'm hearing from you, Lynn, this, you've got this like through line that is, that is just what's in your, your heart and everything you do. And that's including everybody. You are, you are the epitome. Everyone in this world is talking about inclusion and what it is and what it is and what it is. It's exactly what you've been talking about, what your whole life has been, including people being welcoming, making it such that people, anyone can come in and be included. And isn't that what we all want? to feel included in a community, in a family. And now I'm hearing that your next, I know that you're saying in the beginning of this, that you're, you're nerve, you know, this, this with your son coming out of prison and, and how is this going to go and get this book out? And it's like, you're, it's another bit by bit of including him and, and all the work that he wants to do now to serve the world. I, I actually, I'm so happy we met because I can't wait to see how that's going to go after listening to all the stuff that you've done with. And for those of you that are listening and, and might not be able to hear it in the inflection of, of Lynn's voice, it, 
for those of us that are watching you, I mean, you're, you're, you're so unassuming about, yeah. And then I did this and bit by bit. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you are like the epitome of inclusion that I, I, I'm on stages around the world trying to teach people about this Mm -hmm. and you, it is just such a core value of yours. It's magnificent to see how this has played out. All I can say about that is that I have been given more than I have ever given out. Hmm. Lynn, you were you were an inclusion rock star before inclusion became cool. (laughs) (laughs) You you are a trendsetter in this world. And you know what? It all comes from, as Kristen said, that value of recognizing the humanity in everyone and everyone's right to have joy and peace and and, you know, safety and goodness in their fun. We forget about that. The world is a very heavy place. And thank it, you for reminding us that that talk about bringing smiles. You know, if you can bring a little bit of fun and joy into someone's life, there's really nothing better than that. It's And when you have many people that you can share it with, you know, we have really dear friends that have been our friends. Well, the ones that are in Southampton and um, Peggy now has Alzheimer's. But, you know, we have such a history together. And she remembers the past that mm. we we when we're together and we're having dinner, we talk about all the stories that she remembers and we relive them. We've traveled together. Um, we've done crazy things together. We raised our kids together and she remembers all those things. So we just we just do them again. And and my husband has such a, an assortment of, of old movies that then we can watch an old movie and we can have the best of times. So even even in severe um, medical conditions, there are ways to break through if 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 all you're trying to do is have a little joy, a little fun, a little remembering, you, there are ways to do it. And that's that's really what makes all of us resilient, right? It's yeah. it's the building up, the building up of each other, the building up of the body, building up of the community. Um, we're in it together, so why not do it together? That's the other. That's the other word I keep hearing um, with you, Lynn, is community, and you've really solidified for for all of us listening. Community is at the heart of everything. And it's funny because now people are trying to build, you know, communities online and I need to feel a part of something. And we have these communities that we live in. And when we just look, like you're saying, across the street, next door, how can we build that? And I, I'm with you. I firmly believe that that's where I got my foundation in being resilient because life is hard. But I grew up in a tight community. Wasn't, wasn't huge. Nobody famous. No bazillionaires, you know, just some good people that all had the same values gave me that nice foundation to be able to to take off and soar and then do it where I'm at now. So this has been this has been tremendous. I want to I want to shift gears because this has been like I mean, you were like a master class in in so many (laughs) things here today. And now we want to we want to do our fun little part at the end of the episode here where we we really um, we started doing this for folks that just are in that stuck mode and got to rapid fire get out of you know real quick what kind of reset can they do real quick um to reset their mindset so we have some some fun stuff here and see if any of this lands what um what is one of your your um go-to songs when you just gotta get out of a mood 
for a lot of reasons, not just for getting out of a mood, but for a lot of reasons. Uh, my my tears are going to betray what you just asked. You yes. asked you asked to get you out of it, right? But it puts me. It also puts me into it, and it would be seasons of love. Ah. Oh. That's a beautiful song. Yeah. And you've experienced them and shared them with so many people. So 525,600 minutes. That's, I love that song. And I mean, I love that song too. Talk about inclusion. It came from Rent. You didn't get more inclusive than what that, that, um, you know. But my daughter played Mimi. No, on, she didn't. She did on Broadway. Oh, well, my and she gosh. and she did it for years on the London stage and also in Toronto. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. Yes, I know. I know. To her. No wonder yep. you love that song. Okay. But, so I, but but I love it. I love it because I learned it from her. Hmm. Right? Yeah, but the meaning transcends. And and because her whole experience in that show brought in our minds to include, I mean, when you when you come to my table at a holiday, besides all the different color skins there, we've we, my 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 daughter in law to be is um, is is Jewish, Russian Jewish, and Pakistani. And um, my daughter, Kristen, who is the actor, she always has friends that come and join us and they're gay and trans. And my daughter, Kathleen, her her memorial to her son, Jake, was to become his nurse. So she changed careers and she's now a nurse practitioner. And she often has nurse friends who have nowhere to go. So they're at the table. I mean, it's it's it, it just that. That song, it says it all. But the thing that really is also sad about that song is, is that we sung it at the memorial of the person who gave us that first $6,000. And, mm. and we put on our playground a buddy bench in her name. And a buddy bench is when a child doesn't have anyone to play with. They sit on the bench so that somebody knows that they're looking for a buddy. That's so sweet. That One of my so most favorite sweet. things in this whole entire world is a buddy bench. That's so sweet. Oh my! And God. that all the kids are in tune to that. That's what I love about it. That they and that someone is willing to ask for help, and that kids are are running literally to be that helper. Right. Right. Beautiful. Right. So okay, that song question, means a lot. <laughs> oh my gosh! Too. Now, this is this is when we try to get people to think about something that made them laugh. So is there a point that you can go back to in your mind that just made you laugh so much you almost cried? Well, yes, it, I, it made me laugh so much and for others laugh so much that we were all crying. First with laughter, for absolute sure. It was the most fun thing I can ever, oh, well, maybe not ever, but it was the most fun thing that I have at the moment in you asking me the question, okay? that's This is what uh -huh. jumped into my mind. My very dear friend of many, many years was diagnosed about 17 years ago with with cancer. Mm -hmm. And when she was diagnosed she, I said to her, Marge, what do you want? What, what do you need? She said, I need to laugh. And I said, okay, we're coming and we're going to laugh. And I hung up the phone and I thought, oh my God, I can pray. 
I can hug, I can hold. What in God's name could I possibly do to make her laugh? I, it was such a burden. I, I just, I didn't know what to do. And then I did know what to do. And I called the other four people that that I knew would do this with me. Well, three others that would do this with me. And I said, um, she loves ABBA. Let's let's get jumpsuits. No. Uh, yes. So <laughs> we we got crazy red jumpsuits and, I, <laughs> and microphones and a great big boom box. And then we and then we bought a costume of a queen. Funny. And I and I had to call her neighbor and say, could we get dressed at your house? Because we were coming from all different directions. So we went into this neighbor's house who we didn't know. I, 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 <laughs> and here's these crazy ladies that are all putting on these crazy red Oh my God, you should have seen them with the big bell bottoms and the big bell arms. And one of us, one of the, the four of us is real teeny tiny and the rest of us are like five foot seven. So I bought them to fit the five foot seven people. And we had, we were putting rubber bands on her legs to pull the bell up so that we didn't lose the bell. And then, <laughs> and then, and then we put, and all this is unbeknownst to the person we're trying to make laugh. So, so we're now going over to her house with the boom box and it's booming. Dancing Queen is booming through the neighborhood and we're banging on the door and we've got our jumpsuits and our microphones. And oh honest oh to God, it was oh the, it, That's we, the whole neighborhood was out laughing and she got to the door. <laughs> she came to the door and she just she just couldn't stop laughing. And then we dressed her in a queen's outfit and the night continued. It was I just love it. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. That's incredible. Okay. That is so fantastic. Real quick, the last, well, first of all, the <laughs> last question is, when did you feel like a rock star? When did you have a rock star moment? I think you just told I us. I think that was it. <laughs> I think that was it. That was your rock star moment. That was a twofer. This has been such a delightful conversation. Um, is there a place where people can reach out to you? I know it's Build Jake's Place. Is that the place where people can contribute? And, and Sure. Yeah, buildjakesplace.org. That is yeah. our, that's our website. Absolutely. Um, I'm easy to get to as well. Uh, sometimes it's hard to hear the words, the, the uh, letters, but I'm L Cummings at lcdc.us. Okay. We will put that in our show notes and make sure people can get hold of you. And we're going to turn this back over to my buddy, Kristen, who remembers all the things that I don't remember. This has been, like I said, this is a masterclass in inclusion and then some and, and a hilarious ending to be because I'm telling you, I'm going to put Dancing Queen on this afternoon and crack up. You'll never, hear it. You'll never hear it the same way again. Nope, no, nope, no, nope. I have a whole visual to go with it that is going to make me crack up. This has been such a... A great time. Thank you so much, Lynn, for, for being here with us. And, and for those of you, if you possibly still need a mindset reset and more resources uh, after this episode to um, live brilliantly resilient, just go to brilliantlyresilient.net. The pop-up will come, put your email in, and every week we will send you a bit of brilliance. Bit by bit by bit, you'll be living brilliantly resilient. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you so much, ladies. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. 
Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.